I wanted to talk about joy this week, about all the videos that I've seen on TikTok of black men frolicking in fields of flowers that have made me smile so hugely, about the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. It's one of the last things that we as a community were diving into before COVID really hit in 2020. Or about the extravagant joy of the multi-faith worship service for Cincinnati Pride that I helped organize on Thursday. Y'all, Pastor Leslie Jones brought the spirit. The two different choirs had us clapping and hollering and singing along. God was so present in that room of LGBTQ faithful. Or about Pride Festival itself yesterday, where I saw so many faces relieved and joyful to see religious people who accepted and celebrated them. I wanted to talk about joy this week. I don't know that I can. Friday's announcement about the Supreme Court's ruling to overturn Roe v. Wade brought with it a sense of dread that I did not entirely expect. Because we were all expecting that ruling. And buried under that news was another Supreme Court decision that severely limits our ability to enforce our Miranda rights when we're arrested. It's terrifying. Oh, and just for those keeping track, because I talked about it a few weeks ago, since Uvalde, there have been 68 more mass shootings. Things continue to be bad. I know as we as a congregation don't all agree about these things, and I am not expecting all of you to feel the same dread or rage or sadness as me just because I'm standing here with this collar on. I expect there are many of you who are also heartbroken and despairing, as well as many who are pleased and relieved. But I'm scared about what this means for my kids and yours, about whether, about whether I'm hurting any of y'all right now just because I'm talking about it in church. My husband is a high school English teacher, and he has his students do these persuasive essays every year on any topic their little hearts desire, except abortion. Because there are so many strong feelings on all sides of that that it always devolves into an argument. And he said for me to tell you that he doesn't let them do that because he's a coward. <laughs> it's not true. There are good people on all sides of this issue, and it is painful to talk about. I don't really know how to preach today, honestly. Thank you, Alex, for having a rough, busy week that I am taking his place. Hello, God. I don't know how to preach other than to be vulnerable about what I'm seeing and feeling and try to see what scripture has to offer us. And there's another wrinkle, I don't, I don't know if you saw this, but part of the majority opinion for this decision includes the justice's interest in removing same-gender marriage from the Obergefell decision, eliminating privacy for couples in their own bedrooms from Lawrence versus Texas, and reconsidering the right to any kind of birth control from Griswold. It's all about bodily autonomy and the state deciding what we can do with our bodies. And I want to be clear here, because I wear my heart on my sleeve, 
I'm not talking about one particular party, though it might seem like it. I'm talking about a culture of control. But how, but how do you preach these things? <laughs> I asked for prayers for preaching this weekend on my social media because I don't want to lecture. I don't want to lord anything over folks. I just want us to share our pain openly and try to do better tomorrow. Paul says in the reading today, if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. <sighs> Paul, speaking the truth this morning. Because we in this country have let ourselves be consumed by each other. We have entrenched ourselves in these binary political decisions rather than walking together in faith. We aren't just sitting at different lunch tables. We are biting and devouring each other and we feel consumed. I don't want to fight. I don't want to hurt and maim. And yet how are we meant to respond when our own children, our own spouses and friends and loved ones are going to suffer? Because of choices our government has made. Are we not called by Jesus to heal? He sent out the 12, empowered with his spirit to preach good news and to heal, and they came back 70 strong, full of joyful tales of healing and blessing. Jesus said, I came to bring life and life abundant. Are we not also called to offer abundant life, joyful life to each other? Our faith speaks of bodies and freedom, particularly in today's Galatians reading. And it's not, interestingly, this translation was less so. Other translations uh, make it look like a screed about how bodies are terrible. So let's, let's talk about this, uh, this reading. Paul talks about flesh in most translations. It seems to pit flesh against spirit. And we miss a couple of significant things in reading scripture that way. The first is the words that he's actually using in Greek, sarx and soma. Sarx, this is going to be very oversimplified for those who have theological training. Sarx is flesh, spirit, excuse me, soma is body. Sarx is um, the sort of negative, angry version. Soma is just physical, you exist kind of thing. It would seem that in this passage he's contrasting a spirit, a soul of purity and righteousness with our sinful earthly bodies. And while there is indeed an opposition between spirit and flesh, it's God's Holy Spirit and this sarks, our inherent sinful wounding nature, our self-indulgence, our devouring and rivalry and toxic individualism. His list of examples does include some more individual-leaning sins, but it's overwhelmed by this big chunk in the middle of communal sins, enmities, strife, jealousy, anger, quarrels, dissensions, factions. The ways we focus on individualism rather than community, on being right and pure rather than a community of beautiful variety. Flesh, in Paul's mind, is that which is opposed to the divine dance and the compassion and joy of God, not not specifically our bodies. He's not asking us to mortify and deny our bodies so we can be worthy of God's love. It's kind of a proto-purity culture, which is exactly what Paul is preaching against. Which brings us to the other thing that, that we all need to know, which is why he's even talking about this in the first place. There were some other preachers, and I enjoyed one of the commentaries I read this week where other preachers was capitalized. Other preachers. 
preachers. There were some other preachers who'd come through Galatia and insisted that the people had to do particular practices and believe certain things so they could be saved. Which sounds a lot like the religious tract that my husband was handed at Pride yesterday, all about right belief and right action for fear of hell. These preachers in Paul's time, among other things, insisted that the people of Galatia had to be circumcised or else everything was pointless, that they they could not enter the kingdom of heaven. That's the bit that's missing from this reading this morning. Uh, I don't know, didn't see it on the slide, but maybe you heard her say Galatians 5, 1 and 13 to 25. Quick side note, always, always, always read the bit that's skipped. (laughs) Sometimes it's boring. Sometimes it's fascinating. This one's a little bit boring, but go read it at home if you want to. The bit that's skipped here this morning is Paul talking about circumcision yet again. So you can go read that later if you want to. It's not a pressing issue right now. So when we read this passage, it's not always clear what we're meant to do with this. The point is, these other preachers thought the people had to follow the law in its strictest sense in order to be Christian and to be welcomed into the kingdom. So I have to say, though, for many Jews that I know, observing the law can be freeing and joyful. But having it forced on you, having your decisions restricted and your body mutilated because someone said you had to, Paul says no. Absolutely not. The spirit of God is the spirit of freedom. Not to do whatever you want at the cost of other people, but the freedom we experience when we are truly loved, when we share that love with others, the freedom of agency, of choosing how we will be with each other, how we will serve each other. Paul pulls no punches. This letter is angry. But he also reminds us that the Galatians are not only about their arguments. These days, there are visible, large congregations of Christians who believe firmly that we all must fall in line with a particular behavior, mostly to do with sex and sexuality, or else we're not worthy. And more than that, they understand that their job is to make everyone else fall into that line. This is called purity culture, and it has, in its, has its roots in the Great Awakening in the mid-1800s and the publishing of the Fundamentals in the late 1800s. Purity culture is a Christian understanding that we are meant to make ourselves pure by ourselves, sexually in particular, so that we can be worthy of God's love. It's good Lutheran language around this. This is works righteousness weaponized against the vulnerable. I have several students right now at the Edge House who grew up in this form of evangelical Christianity. And without exaggerating at all, I've talked about this before. They have PTSD from their experiences. It wasn't only that they were meant to save themselves from marriage, it's that their bodies were filthy and wrong. It wasn't just that they needed to accept Jesus into their hearts, it's that every minor mistake brought a call from a pastor and a public shaming. Their bodies and their faith were controlled by the church. And this is what Paul's preaching against. And this is not what we are called to. We are called to the fruits of the Spirit. And they show up when we are approaching each other with honesty and empathy and curiosity, not demanding someone live like us. But y'all know this. Y'all know this. We know each other to be kind, compassionate people 
swift to love and offer help. It doesn't mean we don't make mistakes. We're human. That's sort of what we do. But we don't shame each other for it. And we can ask questions. What does it mean that we believe all humans are made in the image of God? What does it mean when we read the story of the woman who had been bleeding from her womb for 12 years straight and she was healed when she touched Jesus' robe and when he felt that power go out, he turned and he said, your faith has made you well. What does it mean about how Jesus wants us to treat women who are in distress? or People who are in distress. What does it mean to us that Jesus consistently sought out and ate with outcasts and sinners? And what does it mean that we still call people those things? What does it mean that God died on a cross? What does it mean that God is love? What does it mean really to love our neighbor? Like on the ground, how we talk on social media and vote and interact with people who we don't know out there in the world. What does it mean to love? And when we pray in church every week, so often the the language we use in these prayers sounds like, God, please change the oppressive laws of this land. God, bring comfort to the poor and hungry. It removes us from the equation. The hungry are fed, Jesus said, when we feed them. The lonely and imprisoned are supported when we visit them. The oppressed are relieved when we see our part in their oppression and do something about it, however small. God gives us the desire, puts that into our hearts. God even gives us the courage and the the hope and the help to do it. It's a group project. Because this faith of ours, it isn't limited to these walls or our amazing outreach work that we do. Hands to work, hearts to God, said Mother Ann Lee. And we say God's work, our hands. Y'all, the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, they grow in wild profusion from the tree that God planted. These fruits of the Spirit are so lush, so abundant, so joyful it looks like the blackberry bush at the edge house. More fruit than leaves. The fruits of the Spirit are always in season, always available because God makes the tree to grow. Not us. But we can fertilize it. See, y'all, maybe the spirit of joy is back a little bit. I feel a little bit what Pastor Leslie would say. I feel a little anointing. That multi-faith service filled my soul. The talking back, the the soaring music, surely the presence of God was in that place. And walking yesterday and blessing everyone in the crowd, every single person in the crowd, and seeing adults and children from this congregation run towards me when they saw me for hugs. Surely the presence of God was in this place. Love and joy and peace, they're in the air and the water. Patience and kindness and generosity, they are already inside and between us. Faithfulness and gentleness and self-control, Paul says there is no law against these things. And these fruits spread seeds, even, even in the despair 
of the lynching memorial in Montgomery, Alabama, a place of sadness and memory, you were left with this line. The wind brings everything. Nothing is lost. This moment, whatever it is for you, it is not the end. If it's not okay, it's not the end. And we are not alone. Amen.